welcome back to Covered in Glory, where we will actually talk about games being played on the field this week rather than trying to get you to pick your favorite team. Although, admit it, you kind of enjoyed the last two weeks when instead of giving you terrible gambling advice, we're giving you terrible team selection advice. Uh, So this week we have a cracking set of games, and there's no one I'd rather talk about them with than my friend Brett. Brett, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man, especially because, like, you call me your friend. Like, that really makes me feel good, man. Yeah, like I'm, well, I'm really, I'm in a really good mood for this podcast now. Well, you did compare me to a cult leader last week and get everybody to drink the blue Kool Aid, so we kind of have to be friends, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to join your cult, but like, I can be your friend. Uh, yet, yet, I saw you wavering yeah. last week. <laughs> That's true. You really did. I, I legitimately tweeted out after our podcast that I think if you try to convince me to join Scientology, I would I would seriously be considering it at that point. Oh, my goodness. Well, I got to join first. But once I do, boy, am I going to be their best recruiter. Uh, <laughs> So, so for those of you who didn't listen, I, I and if you do not have a favorite team, although that's a weird Venn diagram to think who has not, didn't listen to last week, still doesn't have a favorite team, but decided to dial in this week for the first time. But if you are that one person, uh, do go back and listen to the last couple of weeks. We had a lot of fun while there was COVID running throughout the league and FA Cup games last weekend, talking about which team you should select in the Premier League as your favorite team. And uh, Michael, our producer, he's already gone ahead and selected West Ham which was fabulous our new favorite hammer Michael Sicoli and we're going to start having uh, your other favorite extra points personalities coming on I believe Sal's going to come on next week and then uh, a bunch of others are going to follow him in the weeks after so they can select their favorite team so hope you enjoyed those episodes if you didn't listen to them please go back it's ones I actually prepare for under like this me- unlike this mess you're about to hear today <laughs> and other things too tweet at us let us know if you were somebody that listened to those podcasts you enjoyed them it made you want to pick a club. Let us know who you picked. I'm genuinely curious if any of our inane arguments actually made someone want to choose a team. I would love to hear those stories. So please tweet them at us. Tweet it. Tweet it. Tweet at us. DM us. Whatever it takes. Yeah. If you pick Chelsea, tweet at me. If you didn't pick Chelsea, tweet at Brett. <laughs> All right. Uh, So let us get back to the action on the field. What actually this podcast is supposed to be about. And we are leading off with a banger. Manchester City, first in the table, 53 points versus Chelsea, second in the table at 43 points. A top of the table clash. This is coming at you Saturday morning, bright and early, 7.30 a.m. It's the lunchtime game over in the U.K., so the whole nation will be watching. Manchester City is minus 150. Chelsea is plus 420, a giant number for a team that's second in the table. The draw is plus 290. If you like the spread a little bit better, Manchester City minus 0.5 remains at minus 150. Chelsea is at plus 130. Oh, baby, this is the game that you circle as soon as it gets uh, issued. And I got to say, I mean, I've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about Chelsea's injuries and, and being bemoaning their health and how unfair it was that everybody else had games canceled and they kept having to play despite this massive fixture pileup. And they're slowly working their way through it. I mean, they're still shredded on these sides with both of their fullbacks kind of out for an extended period of time and piecing that together through duct tape. But, you know, watching them play against uh, Tottenham the last two weeks in the League Cup, 
they were piecing it back together. Conte came back out and uh, he looked fairly, fairly mobile. He looked fairly good. All their attackers at least got a rollout out there. Their back line is uh, slowly but surely recovering. So I don't think they're full strength, but they certainly aren't the half strength we saw before. So, uh, Brett, I'm going to let you have the honors first in this game. Uh, because obviously I cannot be trusted in being objective, <laughs> but you can. So why don't you tell the people what you see in this game, and then uh, I'll give them my Chelsea pick at the end. You know, the first step in progress is, man, you have a problem. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, honestly, and, and I'm not doing this to placate you because you signed my checks, but the draw at plus 300, I this match, it just feels like a match where – it's it's hard to see these two teams separate, right? So you, these are legitimately probably the two two of the at least five best defensive clubs in the world. So a goal fest seems completely just out of the possibility. And you know, City is incredible. You know, the, Riyad Mahrez is um, at the African Cup of Nations, but like we've talked about this before, they lose a guy like Mahrez, then they plug in Gabriel Jesus. They Phil Foden actually gets to play. Grealish actually gets to play. Bernardo Silva moves up to the wing. Gundogan comes into the midfield. Um, so they're incredible. But like at the same time, Chelsea is getting healthy. Um, you you know that Tuchel is going to come in with a good game plan. And this just feels like a game that's going to be a kind of a knockdown drag out fight where no one is going to separate, which means you're going to be in that margin of error for the fluky goal, the set piece goal. Rudiger actually like keeping his 60 yard drive up the field and shot below the crossbar and pass Ederson. No, um, chance. <laughs> no chance. No chance. Um, but no, this, this does kind of seem like a game that's going to be uglied up enough that you're going to get those goals. Chelsea was really good against Liverpool, who again is kind of on that same ish tier as city, although city is really pulling away um, and they played them even. And I think that's a good sign. And we talked about this on previous podcasts. Um, Tuchel has lots of options. And when, when I was starting out my hot take at ROM, we talked about them moving to a formation in a match like this, where they could go to like a five, three, two, instead of that three, four, three sacrifice an attacker, go with like a Conte Kovacic, Jorginho midfield with ROM and maybe like Timo Werner up top. But I'm asking you with all their injuries, with the fact that Tuchel's messed around with the back four recently and cut matches that they've done pretty well in. What do you want to see? What gives you the most confident in a bet when they roll us out? Like you're the Chelsea guy here. Like feed me info on Chelsea. Give me that insider scoop. Yeah. So I think when Pep and Tuchel get together, they can't help but show off. And so there's going yeah. to be a heavily tactical, well-organized match that's going to take place here. And so I think the draw is a good bet. Uh, I think, I think it's going to be very close one way or the other. So draw one Oh, either way, whatever it might be. Uh, and I think Tuchel is probably going to try to surprise Pep a little bit. So, like, I don't think we'll see a hard 3-4-3 the entire match. I think we'll see a little bit more of a fluid lineup. Uh, when he, Even when he went to four in the back recently, it kind of morphed as you watched it. Like, it looked like a 4-2-2-2, and it looked like, you know, a 4-4-2. They looked like a 4-2-4. They looked like a 3-4-3. They looked like a 5-3-2. <laughs> like, it, the positioning on the field changed a lot based on the way the game was flowing. So like while Tuchel absolutely has in his bag and has made Chelsea extraordinarily successful, just a well-drilled three, four, three. And, and without changing that much, I think the injuries and I think the, um, 
I think putting Aspilicueta kind of all over the field because he has that flexibility has allowed him this new found, I don't want to use the word freedom, but let's just say space to explore. And I think he's going to try to show off. Uh, I mean, show, show off has a negative connotation. I think yeah. that just like in the Champions League final, the lineup and the tactics that everybody was talking about going into it won't necessarily be the end result because if if it's predictable, Pep's going to counter. Pep knows how to counter punch anything he can predict. So the best way yeah. to actually get to Pep is to throw him off stride a little bit. And I think uh, Tuchel's one of the best in the world at being able to do that. I mean, at full strength, like who? If you had to put out like your most confident rankings of Chelsea's attackers, and I mean, I'm a big Mason Mount guy. We've talked a little bit about Ram on the pod. I think Werner, even though he misses every chance that he gets, um, it brings a lot with his runs in behind. How, like, I mean, as a Chelsea fan, like, who gives you the most confidence going on against City? I'm, I'm genuinely interested to hear this because every single one of their attackers brings something different to the table, and we've kind of touched on all of them throughout. So I'd love to see, like, from a perspective of somebody who watched some match in, match out, like, who are the guys that give you the best chance against City, do you think? Yeah, so this is where Tommy Tactics really comes in, right? Because if he's actually going to play something like a 5-3-2 and, attack, and uh, sacrifice an attacker and try to sit back as hard as he can and really drill in the back line of the defense, then you got to play Timo because you're hoping to catch one on the counter and Timo's speed allows that to become much more of a probability versus you know Lukaku or anyone else. But if he's actually going to try to dictate the action a little bit and take advantage of having Conte uh, kind of dominating the midfield if he's back to full form, I think you have to play Lukaku at that point because you're going to need somebody that as you kind of uh, turn the ball over in the midfield can then you know kind of break down the low block that Pep might set up. So I, I guess I defer a little bit to what Tuchel wants to accomplish. Um, I have the most confidence in, I guess, in Lukaku, which sounds strange, um, of those two options of Warner and Lukaku, because Lukaku, everyone wants to talk about being a bust, but he is very influential against big, well-organized teams because he gives you a tactic that you otherwise don't have. Um, well, he also, he also is huge against a team like city that presses because he links up play better than yes. the team out. Right. It's like when you if you see Timo in a starting eleven and you're you know figuring out how to how to bet like Timo's going to be in my opinion and you can correct me as the Chelsea expert here he's going to be that guy that runs in behind he's like a boomer bust guy like he's the baseball player that's like a uh, you know zero sum dude he's hitting a home run or he's fucking striking out and Rom does a lot more especially later in his career especially playing with Lautaro Martinez at Inter at like linking play playing guys in. And that's why like a two with them is, is really interesting, but like each of them without the other means that like Chelsea's going to play in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Lukaku does have that big outlet against that press. Like even if it's just lumping it up, you know, towards the center line to kind of beat some of the pressure and, and get that relief. Um, so that's what I would expect to see. I would expect to see uh, Havertz, Lukaku and Mount. Is who I would expect yeah. to see, and I have. I, I wish, have I wish we could bet on that because I. That's the exact. That's the exact three that I would be anticipating too. <laughs> yeah, and so if we see, uh, if we see Lukaku, Havertz, and Mount, we're going to see. Con- I mean, he's got to play Conte as much as he possibly can. Yeah. Conte is the most important player on the pitch for Chelsea, because um, he's got to. He's got to have coverage for those wings. I mean, like if it's Alonso and Aspilicueta, uh, I mean, take all the Zhao, Cancelo bets you can find uh, which 
which we're, we're leading to. Like, I, once you see I already, the lineups, I already take all the Jalk and Solo bets that you can find. But I, I mean, if that if that's the wings, like, forget about it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what they're gonna do. So I I think they're more likely to play Pooley or uh, Hudson Adoy out of position, even though the other two are more traditional fullbacks. Just just for the speed element just to try to close down some of the space, just to try to shrink the field, because otherwise it's going to be a big, big pitch, and Manchester City dominates space, and you just got to give them as little as possible. I agree, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited. We only have a few more of these like primetime Premier League matchups left, and this one, to me, between two of probably the most tactically, and this is like no disrespect to Klopp. I think you know Klopp has, is a not necessarily like an ideal log or anything like that. He's obviously very tactically good, but these two managers are two of the most interesting, like tactical, like chess mover, chess movers, uh, chess piece movers in the, in all of soccer. I'm really interested to see how this plays out. I, I think Tuchel could lay out all these formations that we talked about. I think the way that he structures his team is going to dictate the flow of the entire match. Um, which is weird to say when you're talking about Pep Guardiola City being his opponent, that the way Tuchel sets up may dictate the match. Um, but it's going to be super interesting. And it's also something that, like, as a better, like, this is kind of fun because this is where you could see a starting 11 with a certain group of players, and it may influence the line in ways that maybe the market doesn't catch right away. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think these matches are awesome. Because they're not only super exciting to watch, they're super exciting as a fan, they're super exciting as like a tactics dork, but also I think they give you interesting edges that come about from the starting 11 that just markets maybe not aren't dynamic enough to catch. Yeah, I mean, something I've thought a lot about, Brett, as we've been doing this podcast is like one reason I like betting on soccer so much is because like you can look at most recent results and that's one way to do analysis. And, and certainly I'm guilty of that. And, and most people that, that talk about soccer or the first thing they gravitate to, like what's their current form? What's the results in the last five, et cetera, and so forth. But when it comes to betting, I, that's less important that if you are capable of understanding the flow of the game and like what's the most likely interchange of tactics that's going to happen, because then you can spit out things like corners and cards and, uh, you know, things like that and shots on target and like who's most likely to get the shots on target and where is this going to come in the field? Things that are far less efficient betting markets. And that you cannot tell by looking at, oh, you know, Manchester City won their last game 1-0. And so, like, if you're listening to to Brett specifically and you're getting into soccer <laughs> gambling, um, listen to the tactical breakdowns and then have that spill over to how you bet beyond just, I think it's going to be Man City's going to win and, uh, you know, Harry Kane is good. So I'm always going to take him as anytime goal scorer. You'll have a lot more wins under your belt that way. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's a great point too, because we, you brought this up before that like the player props are of anything, the most inefficiently priced things on the market. And so those player props obviously change, like, you know, like we're both Mason Mount fans, but if Tuchel comes out and he plays like a five, three, two and Mount's like part of the midfield, he's going to operate differently than he will yeah. if he's part of a three, you know, and let's say it is Werner and Lukaku up top. Lukaku is going to be the link player. Werner is going to be the one running it on goal. So despite all like soccer knowledge in the world saying Rom is a better, more efficient goal scorer, the guy that actually might end up with the most chances is Werner. So you can go look at his anytime goal scoring odds, see if it's something that, you know, plays out with the math. 
and give it a run. So like, this is why this match is so fun. I'm, I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be really fun and I hope people make some money off of it too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the single most interesting part of the game when it comes to gambling is like, what do you think is a win for Tuchel? Um, does he actually believe that they can mount a title challenge? Cause if he actually believes they can mount a title challenge, then he has to go for the win because they're not yeah. making up the points unless it gets a win and like losing five zero versus losing or, you know, one zero, like who cares? Cause all you care about is the six points that are, that are on offer here. Uh, I don't think it's going to play out that way. I don't think he wants to get embarrassed and I think he's going to, going to be in a very tight game. Um, and for Manchester city, a draw is a win. Like in, yeah. order, in order to win the title here, uh, if you're looking at it that way, like a draw is a massive win. Like all they have to do is draw and, and stay level. And they're still, you know, way up on the table and, and halfway home to lifting the cup and getting the kind of the guard of honor by April or you know, early May, whenever that might happen. So <laughs> yeah, it might be end of February at this point. Since I don't think that they're going to go for, for broke, I think it's going to be just a tactical battle as if, you know, this was the first game of the season, not, uh, somebody that chase Chelsea's 11 points behind or whatever their current. Yeah. They're 10 points behind on the table. Uh, I'm taking Chelsea plus one thirty on the spread. So okay. a draw or a Chelsea win gets plus one thirty. Uh, Cause I think, you know, Manchester city, I think a draw is a win for them. I think it's going to be an extraordinarily tight game and getting that with a plus number in front of it. Uh, when a draw, you know, Manchester city will be happy with and might even game plan for, uh, I think is a positive bet here. Yeah, well, and I mean, and I'm I'm going all in the draw because my prop, as much as I sit here talking about player props being inefficiently priced on that shit, uh, my my thing is actually going to be a game prop uh, with the draw at one one two two three three at plus four twenty five uh, mm. because I don't really see this being so much a zeros like a nil nil stalemate, right? I do think that there are going to be goals. Like it's hard to stop City from scoring, and Chelsea has enough different ways of scoring that I think that they can nick one somewhere, you know, whether it is on the break, whether it is from settled possession, whether it is from a free kick, whether it's from a corner, you know, with one of their center backs coming up. So I do think that there's more potential for Chelsea to win in different phases or score a goal in different phases of the game. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about player props, but I do think that game prop with the draw is still probably going to be one of your most efficiently priced things, inefficiently priced things. Well, it's funny. So uh, obviously I've thought more about this game than every other game combined. So I, I wrote down a lot of the, prop, <laughs> the props that I like. Uh, the ones that I, I like, Lukaku to have a shot on target in each half is plus 450. I think it's going to be a lot of trying to play, you know, wide back to the middle or um, trying to break down, you know, a compact defense and use a ROM as a big figure to try to get either headers on goal or, you know, something loose in the box, whatever it might be. So I think that's a great number shot on target each half 450. Um, the African Cup of Nations has obviously ravaged a lot of teams. And for Chelsea, it took our all world goalkeeper. And so we have to play, play our all world disappointment and Keppa. Keppa. <laughs> and um, Keppa kind of doesn't do great with shots from distance. 
And I, if I know that, certainly that would be an under for those of you who are novices. That is an extreme understatement. He is yeah. literally one of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League, allowing goals from outside the box. So if I know that, and Brett knows that, and everybody knows that, then uh, Pep knows that, and all the midfielders and fullbacks on Manchester City know that. So uh, De Bruyne to score from outside the box, or uh, Jao Cancelo to score from outside the box. I think are both yeah. solid bets because I think they're both going <laughs> to be licking their lips at Keppa and his his box blindness. Um, Rudiger to get a card is plus two hundred because that's a good one. I think he knows that shithousery is about their only way that they're going to make this a fair fight, and there's no one more skilled in the dark arts than him. If they do play a back four, Rudiger's not that great in a back four. One reason he's become one of the best defenders in Europe is he excels in a three um, a back three instead of a back four. Uh, so if they do have to play a back four and he has to cover more space, I could absolutely see him dragging guys down, coming in with two footers or whatever. And even if they don't, I can see him finger wagon, shithousing, et cetera, to get a card. So I like that one. Um, as I said, if it's Alonzo and Aspilicueta, Jao uh, to have an assist is plus 450. I would love that one of that one because he's got so much space to create out on the flanks. So those are all ones I like after giving this game way more thought than anybody listening to this probably has. Um, <laughs> the final one I'm going to go with, though, is a little bit uh, in the face of what you just said. I'm going with under 2.5 goals at plus 105. This, the six results you get are nil-nil, 1-1, uh, and then 1-0 or 2-0 to either side. And I think that's six of the seven most likely score lines versus the other one being 2-1. So if I can get six of the seven most likely score lines and one bet with a plus in front of it, then I like that number. Oh, that's a lot of faith in Kepa, baby. It's a lot of faith in Kepa to stop those shots from going in. And <laughs> as long as Conte's on the field, who says they're ever going to get a shot? Oh, there you go. Touche. I know. I watched the uh, Champions League final just like you did. Conte absolutely <laughs> dominated them. And then when he couldn't, Rudiger football tackled everybody he saw until there was nothing left. So. <laughs> and the key to success against Manchester City. Have a goal, Conte, and let Rudiger tackle people. <laughs> All right. So uh, outside of my mind, there's no other games this weekend, but the Premier League disagrees, and they're going to go ahead and play a few others. So uh, we're going to get to the other top six matches within the slate. But first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. I know we went long on Chelsea and Manchester City, but it is one of the few times that we're going to have a top of the table clash. And if Manchester City wins, it's probably going to be the last game that truly matters for the title chase until August of next year. So uh, forgive us for going a little bit long in a game that's that important, but we want to get to the rest of the slate. Next up, we have Aston Villa, 14th on the table at 22 points versus Manchester United, 7th and 31 points. This game is Saturday at 1230 Eastern. Manchester United is plus 140. Uh, the draw is plus 240. And Aston Villa is plus 190. On the spread, Manchester United at minus half a goal remains at plus 140. And then Aston Villa goes down to minus 155. Uh, so, right before we get to the game, Aston Villa is making a show of intent that I did not expect in the January transfer window. So I think we're going to see a debut from uh, Coutinho, Liverpool legend, this weekend and Barcelona super flop. 
Uh, and then they just announced what yesterday that they made a raid of your favorite club for one of, I'm guessing your least favorite players. So uh, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the impact that these guys are going to have and uh, whether they're, you know, they matter and whether we should take Aston Villa just slightly more seriously in the back half of the year now. Yeah. So, you know, Philippe Coutinho is an interesting dude, right? Cause like he, when he was at Liverpool, I mean, we were legitimately talking about one of the best attackers in the world at that point, you know, and he goes to Barcelona. It was very high profile move. Um, yeah, one of the most expensive transfers of all time. And he just couldn't really ever mesh. And part of it is like, it's, it was, as we're seeing in the post Messi Barcelona era, it was always going to be really hard to mesh with Messi. He, it, he dominated the ball so much, especially as he aged, he would drop deeper and deeper in the field to like control the game. And he, Messi is, is going to be the best soccer player of all time. And Coutinho's game was kind of dictated on the same thing. Like we thought of Coutinho for like the flamboyant goals, but really like his best asset at Liverpool was moving the ball forward. He was a, a through ball machine. He was playing guys in all the time, especially when they moved him as like the, uh, as kind of an eight in the midfield three. Um, and Barcelona just didn't ever play like that. They ground possession. They held onto the ball. Then they waited Messi to dribble through four guys and either play somebody in or score a goal. And Coutinho never really fit with that, but it's not like the dude is 35. I mean, this isn't Frank Ribery at Fiorentina. I mean, he's 29. He's kind of sort of out of soccer prime but he still doesn't have a ton of minutes on his legs. And it's going to be interesting to see like what he has left in the tank. And especially with Aston Villa, what will really be interesting is where he plays. So he's kind of always been this hybrid, like left winger and kind of free eight ish, 10 midfielder type. And it's going to pose a really interesting problem for Villa. And I don't want to get into crazy Villa tactics for maybe the one Aston Villa fan that we have. But basically, if you play him in the midfield, that, that team is going to be a mess without the ball, especially with Marvelous Nakamba off in the African Cup of Nations. He's literally the only guy in the uh, Aston Villa midfield that can win the ball back for the other team, uh, which is a very important part of having possession is to get it back when you don't have it. Um, and so it's hard to see him and like John McGinn and Douglas Louise like coexisting in the same midfield without the ball, like basically Aston Villa will just get run through the midfield at that point. And then if you play him on the wing, you have to probably jam a more inferior player in the midfield. And really when you look at, you know, probably the best players, Ali Watkins, um, Danny, Dan, well, I hate seeing Danny Ings, but Danny Ings is one of the best pressing forwards still in the premier league. Uh, Leah Bailey, who came over from the Bundesliga this year is a really good attacking talent. Uh, they've been playing the young Ramsey kid a little bit more in the attacking band. One of those guys then sits. So it's going to be a really interesting thing. If like Coutinho has still got something left and they can figure out where, where to play him, this is going to be a huge boost for a club like Villa. I'm not saying it's going to like, they're going to make a late run for the champions league, but in matches like this, especially against the United team, that is just pretty mediocre He's a difference maker then all of a sudden. He's the difference between this being an ugly draw to this being an Aston Villa win. And that's a big thing for mid-table club. They can really push them in these matches and make them compete when you add a talented piece like that. But 
we just haven't seen Coutinho play that much. I mean, in the last two seasons or in this season and the season before, he's barely played over a thousand minutes in La Liga. So we don't know what he has left, but we do know that we've seen some really amazing, talented seasons, but we also don't know exactly where he can use that talent at this point. And then as far as Luca Digne, that's just going to trigger me. Rafa, just leave, <laughs> leave my club, leave my club alone. Stop selling our good players and then buying the next Tony Hibbert. I don't want to see that shit. That's, no, I think Digne is going to be an upgrade over Matthew Target at left back. Digne has kind of been, you know, as far as mid-table clubs go, he's a pretty good fullback at like getting forward, creating chances. He wore out his welcome with Rafa because Rafa wants Ben Godfrey at fucking left back forever, which is awesome. Um, but no, I, I think between those two, you're going to see a lot more attacking uh, emphasis from Liverpool and, or I mean, from, from Aston Villa. And since Stevie G has come over, they've been really good defensively, really short on creating good chances. Now you just added two guys that can help them create a shift on the chances. So what does that mean for when they play teams like United and the other top six teams going forward? You know, it's going to make them a lot more exciting. Well, it certainly can't make them worse against the top six teams, which is why I'm taking Manchester United. I mean, it's not like Manchester United is knocking the, you know, lighting the world on fire. Um, but they did just, you know, they did just knock um, Aston Villa out of the FA Cup 1 0. You know, what was that last week? And mm-hmm. West, uh, I'm sorry, I almost said West Ham was they wear the same damn uniforms. It drives me nuts. Uh, Aston Villa. <laughs> They lost to Liverpool, they lost to Chelsea, they lost to Arsenal and City and Tottenham and even West Ham. Uh, so every quality team they play, they lose to, with the one exception, notably, of United back in September. But since they just lost him in the FA Cup more recently, it's hard to you know say that's de- more determinative than their otherwise their track record. So even though Manchester United just dropped points to Wolves and Newcastle, until I see Stevie G pull out some magic and drag Coutinho into a Liverpool uh, color time machine, I'm going to take Manchester United at plus 140 to win this match. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually right there with you. Um, I got him at the same same uh, same pricing, same spread. Um, I as much as I, I'm intrigued to see what Coutinho does at a club like Aston Villa. A, it's it, if he plays, it'll be his first match. B, even without him in that in that cup match that you were talking about, Aston Villa had four shots. Yeah, four fucking shots. I just feel sorry for whoever watched that match because that had to be fucking terrible. Um, but you know, he he's not going to completely fix a pretty broken attack at this point. Um, so I do think United's the better team. They haven't really been great. I think we've started to see the flaws in United's personnel. Um, but I do think that until Villa, uh, Villa can figure out how to put some of these new new pieces together with some of their existing good younger players, it's going to be a work in progress. It's not going to start this week against United. And United's one thing is they've been really sound defensively. And a sound defensive team against a team that can't attack usually leads to a win for them. So... I think that's the way you got to look at it. Yeah, and, and the bet on the prop side that I like even more than just the plus 140 for Manchester United to win, my prop is Manchester United to win either 1-0, 2-0, or 2-1. Uh, you can get plus 250 for that. So if you like them to win, Manchester United has only scored three or more goals twice in the last 13 games since uh, the month of November. 
So I'd rather get the extra juice there, the plus 250 instead of the plus 140, and like, okay, go with God if they suddenly score five or six goals. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm on the same vein as you in just a different way. I'm going to take the under two and a half as my prop. Uh, I think it it's the same sound logic. Uh, you don't see many goals from Villa. If United pops off for three or four, you know, Godspeed. You know, God, God bless you, Ralph. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think this is just going to be a really ugly match. I don't see much changing from their cup tie that they just had with each other where most of, you know, the main core players are playing on both sides. So, I mean, that under just looks very, very appealing. Yeah. All right. So let us move to a game. I have very little to say about, uh, Liverpool third in the table, 42 points versus Brentford 13th at 23 points. This game is 9. AM on Sunday. Liverpool is minus 350. Brentford is plus 950. The tie is plus 460. Liverpool uh, uh, minus 1.5 goals is minus 115. Brentford is plus 100. I got to say, I hate every number I just read to you. Uh, there's just <laughs> nothing I really like love in this game. Uh, watching Liverpool being unable to score against Arsenal today made me a little bit gun shy because otherwise you just say, I'm going to take a good team to do a good thing. And they have so much <laughs> firepower uh, that you feel so confident in them scoring. But I mean, they couldn't score against Arsenal down a man for over an hour today. It was, it was pretty crazy. And when you consider that Manye and, and Salah are uh, representing their countries right now, like you can start squinting and saying like, oh, is the machine slightly broken? Even though the guys who all also played up front are, are, are fairly world-class. So their defense isn't, you know, stricken with a lot of absences. So I don't like Brentford to score and minus three fifty for Liverpool isn't very attractive, uh, but that's the only number that I can, you know, justify taking. Cause I'm not going to take Liverpool in a blowout. Um, I'd probably take any of my, my prop choices above that. But if I'm going to take Liverpool, I'm going to look to parlay it with another team just to win, but there's nothing else I can select in this game. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little more bullish on Liverpool and mostly just very, very much against Brentford at this point. Brentford kind of shot out of the gate early. Um, they looked really good. You know, Ivan Tony was kind of a guy that you were going to keep your eye on because he had so many goals in the championship coming up. Um, his strike partner uh, in Buemo was is a promising young kind of attacker that like same thing. Great expected goal totals. The finishing didn't match. So, and they both look great early on. And then this team has just been bad and they have been completely unable to score as each match goes by. It looks like the jump from the championship to the premier league has been a lot for Tony to handle. Um, and Brentford also lost their keeper, David Raya. And while Raya didn't look like he was going to be like an elite world-class shot stopper, um, the more we learn about goalkeeping, the more things like, going out, claiming crosses, punching balls away, things like that. Raya was awesome at that. And his backup, um, Alex Fernandez, is not nearly as good at those things. So one of the matchups that I would like that won't you won't find a player prop is the fact that you're looking at a Liverpool right back who loves to whip the ball in against a backup keeper who's not great at going out, claiming those, punching them away. So I think the ball is going to be in dangerous areas a lot. Um, and you got to remember, like, Roberto Firmino and Diego Jota, if I'm saying that right, <laughs> are still incredibly good attackers. Like these are two of the best attackers in the Premier League still. Like that's how crazy sick 
this Liverpool team was, is we see Sadio Mane and Mo Salah go away, and they still have two incredible attackers left behind. The question is, can the third member of that group, Divac Origi, if they move Oxlade Chamberlain into that attacking band, uh, Minamino, are those guys, do they, are they going to bring anything to the table? You know, someone like Origi, like he's in prime soccer age, but we legitimately haven't seen this dude as a starter since 2018. That was the last time that he played over a thousand minutes in a, a major league was in 2018. So can Origi do well over extended minutes? Well, these, well, the two studs are gone. Can he add anything to the attack? And I know they didn't score today, but like they still had 17 shots and that's like a good, healthy sign of a functioning attack. They're still getting shots. They, they have two of the most, um, the best fullbacks at creating shots in Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And they're going against a team that's just not good. Like, yeah. I, I love Brentford. I think they're going to be good. I think they do smart shit. But Brentford's form has been terrible lately. They can't score. We know Liverpool can defend. And I think there's enough tack left over that I will take, not only take the spread, um, but I'm going to go and double down on some Liverpool scoring with Firmino at plus 120 as an anytime goal scorer because... I mean, the dude's still been really good. We kind of lost track of how good Firmino is because he's overshadowed by two incredible attackers. But, you know, now we'll have his chance to get on the end of balls instead of setting him up. So I'm going to take that plus 120 with him. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier in the show about having tactics play through through player props. And so if you wait a little bit, we're taping, you know, on a Thursday night, if you get a little bit closer to kickoff, they'll post assist props for Trent Alexander-Arnold. It'll probably be in the plus... 300 to 400 range and so if you like him whipping that ball in and a keeper that struggles with it over and over again I, those numbers are really good like i actually cashed that bet when i took it um when he was playing chelsea a couple of weeks ago so that is a way to i was talking about just tactic. general crosses there was a uh, I, you could not set a line high enough on just the general number of crosses that i was gonna, uh, I was gonna hit into the box yeah <laughs> if it was 25 i would be taking the fucking over on that well if he hits 20 the way he hits the ball if he hits 25 of them one of them's going in the back of the net i i yeah. would go ahead and bang that somebody's getting down. on the end of one of them yeah yeah um, so I'm going with, I, there's two props I like, um, and one I, I, it's an homage to you, uh, because the, I don't like the minus 350 whatsoever. I do like a good team to do a good thing. And I'd rather play a clean sheet win at plus one Oh five than just Liverpool to win outright at minus 350. I also they grow, like, they grow, they grow up so fast. Uh, <laughs> I also like uh, under 2.5 goals at plus 120 because I don't think Brentford is scoring as my last clean sheet bet uh, indicates. And, you know, Liverpool is a killing machine when they're at full strength. But after what I witnessed today, if I'm getting a plus number for them not to put three in the back of the net, I'm going to go ahead and take it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Good team doing a good thing, man. Can't go wrong, right? All right. Well, speaking of good things, here's one of the best matches uh, on the entire fixture list. It is the North London Derby. Let's do this. Tottenham, six, six in the table, 33 points versus Arsenal, fifth in the table at 35 points. This game is Sunday, 1130 a.m. Eastern. Tottenham is plus 150. Arsenal is plus 180. The draw is plus 230. Really tight numbers. They are expecting uh, almost any of those results you're getting an even, you're almost getting an even number for any of the three outcomes. Uh, Tottenham minus a half goal is going to remain at plus 150. Arsenal 
to either win or get the draw is going to move down to minus 170. Uh, so I want to hear what you have to say about this game because I, I personally think it's just going to be ugly. It's just going to be ugly. These teams hate each other. Neither of them are that tactically dynamic. Uh, I love Antonio Conte is well documented on this, on this show, but I just watched him play Chelsea twice in the last week. And I barely recognize what I want. Uh, I watched like he goes on to the press conference afterwards and talks about how much work there is left left to do. And you watch it. And it's like, yeah, because this isn't how you want to play. And we're not seeing your ideas kind of translate out onto the field. And then we all know that Arsenal is just going to muck the game up as much as possible. It's going to be played through the center. And I think it's going to be uh, a little bit physical and things like that. So I personally, if I'm playing this game, uh, I would play the draw plus 230 just because I think it's the most likely of the three outcomes and you're getting the highest odds on it of, of uh, your three choices. But what I actually like is either team to win 1-0, you can get them at plus 345, and a 0-0 draw is plus 875. So you could get 1-0 for either team, 0-0, bet them both and get a really healthy odds. In an ugly game, that's what I like the most. You know, I uh, I have to say it's actually fun talking about North London Derby where both teams aren't engaged in a slap fight for seventh or eighth place. Um, this like this actually like matters now. Like we're we're talking legitimately about probably the two favorites for the fourth place um, Champions League spot. And so while the match might be a little ugly, I'm actually kind of excited, even though I'm not a fan of either of these teams, that this North London Derby like actually matters. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be make it a little more fun. Um, and I do think like <laughs> if they, they could create a documentary that was Antonio Conte interacting with his analytics department. Uh, I would watch every fucking second of that documentary <laughs> because I, I do think that we are seeing more from Spurs than maybe the results are showing us. Um, they have been really, really good defensively under Conte. He and three of in only three of their eight matches under Conte in the Premier League have they allowed over one expected goal, and in two of those matches it was barely over one goal's worth of chances. Everything else they've held teams to less than a goal's worth of chances. Like this is a good. This is becoming a very good, sound defensive side. And then on the other side, Harry Kane, one of the best finishers in recent Premier League history, is kind of underperforming his expected goal totals. So those are two really healthy long-term things. And we're going to talk about this more as like how it plays out for the Champions League as well. But in this match in particular, I do think that we're starting to see a Conte team that's not, they're never going to be dominant. They don't have the, the talent to be dominant but they're starting to become really good and they're starting to develop a really good defensive identity. The other thing is um, Arsenal has lost a couple of key pieces. I mean, Aubameyang might be on his way out of the club, but he was in theory, their best goal scoring threat. They also lost Thomas Partey who soaked up about, I think it was 1300 premier league minutes this year. So he's been very present in their midfield and we've talked a lot about like how the value of midfielders is something that maybe can help you find some pretty good bets in the marketplace because teams themselves can't value midfielders. So betting markets probably aren't completely on top of it. Um, and it's not like Partey has been this all world destroyer or anything like that, 
but the midfield's already weak. You saw Granite Xhaka today get sent off for kicking Jota in the chest, um, you know, trying to track back during a counter. And that's like a typical Xhaka thing. And now you got midfielders that aren't as reliable. You might even see like an Ashley Mate and Niles appearance in the midfield. Um, I think Arsenal is going to be hurting more from the, some of the absences that they have than we expect. Um, so I'm actually going to be a little more bullish on Spurs. I think it's going to, I'm going to take them straight money line at plus 140, and I'm going to bet on a good manager to do a good thing. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I'm going to take a clean sheet win at plus 205. Arsenal's attack has kind of been overperforming. They're young guys. We've talked about Odegaard overperforming his, his expected goal tally, Neil Smith Rowe overperforming his expected goal tally. At some point, those guys are going to stop scoring every other shot that they take. And in that, if that happens, Arsenal's attack is going to look really, really bad, really, really fast. Um, and so I'm going to kind of hope that this is about the time that it happens and take that clean sheet win. Yeah. And for my prop, and when we talked earlier about how tactics, tactics translate to prop bets, because I'm expecting such an ugly game and I'm expecting you know, a lot of physicality in the midfield and not a lot of attacking, uh, Hope on either side. I'm taking under 9.5 corners at plus 110. Neither Tottenham nor Arsenal are corner generating machines, uh, and neither team are corner, you know, giving up machines. So I expect it to be a low number, and you know, I love getting plus money on what I expect to be uh, kind of a favorable, favorable tactical outcome of this game. Uh, yeah, wanna- another another great thing that plays into that is we've talked about this before. Arsenal are a very slow possession oriented team. Definitely not a thing that yields to a ton of corners being played. Yeah. If you do like a long shot though, if you're a guy who just likes to you know, throw a, throw I love a long shot. Down, I'm the one that's taking center backs to score in the five pine pickup. Give me a long shot. The uh, one guy, when I was watching Tottenham play Chelsea in the last week, who looked more lively than he had previously in the season and is getting a little more comfortable in the Conte system. Emerson Royale. And he is plus 1,900 to score. Uh, if you like Ooh. him getting in there and you like him getting one from a wing position that Conte's trying to feed the ball to, that's a nice number. I, I, I It is a nice number, uh, but it is Emerson. And I think I would probably enjoy just taking a 5 or $10 bill and lighting it on fire and just watching the flames smolder. <laughs> All <laughs> <So>. right. <laughs> All right. Well, but I, do love, I love the fact that you're going there. Now, I, if you can actually include a defender scoring in a five pine pickup, then I'm going to really know that I've influenced you in the right <laughs> ways. No, no, no. You've influenced me in all the wrong ways. Uh, <laughs> so before we do jump to the five pine pickup pickoff and sign off for the week, we did want to talk really quick about some futures uh, since we're through the the pileup of the holiday season. This is the time where you can really start looking at the end of this, the table and start really getting some nice numbers on the end of the year. I mean, the title race, you're not going to get anything on that. Like Manchester City is such a prohibitive favorite that that's not worth really talking about anymore from a betting perspective. But there are two markets that uh, are worth at least giving five minutes to. One is who's going to win the Arsenal Cup and finish in the top four. And the other is the relegation battle. So starting at the top four, this is a massive game, as you alluded to, between Tottenham and Arsenal for this number. Uh, there's four kind of primary contenders. One is Manchester United at plus 170. Tottenham is plus 195. Arsenal is plus 230. West Ham is plus 500. Of that list, uh, from a betting perspective, 
you know, pure betting perspective, Manchester United, for, to my eye, is skewing the numbers for the other three teams because they're such a public team. They are so expensive. They have so many Galacticos and they got off to such a bad start under a bad manager. Uh, I think a lot of money is pouring in and they don't have the best chance of those four teams. Uh, so the fact that they have the shortest odds and maybe, you know, kind of if you look at expected outcomes, the worst chances, like I would avoid them like the plague. But if they're overly weighting the odds, that means the other three are probably getting favorable odds versus their predicted outcome. And so when I look at that list, I think um, it's going to come down to Tottenham and Arsenal. And I think Arsenal at plus 230 is a great number uh, of the four options. What do you think? I mean, I definitely do think that, it, in my opinion, uh, you know, I think West Ham's story is great. They're currently in that spot right now after beating Norwich. Um, but I, I just, they're going to run a steam. They have Europa. They don't have the same spot depth. Uh, you know, Antonio hasn't been good. We've kind of touched on some of the issues with them. Uh, they would be fun if you just want to root for some some cool sort of maybe uh long shot story with them at plus 550 to sneak into that four spot. But I do agree with you. I think Arsenal and Spurs to me stand out as the two clear cut favorites. And the fun part about maybe getting on a futures bet here is you're not necessarily just betting on future club performance. You're betting on future club acquisitions, right? Yes. Cause these, both these clubs are going to be active in the transfer market. So uh, Arsenal has already been linked pretty heavily uh, to Dusan Valovic. I think I'm saying that wrong, but uh, a, a young Fiorentina striker. And he's an interesting prospect. He's 21. He's probably one of the better young attackers that's out there right now. He's going to come with a pretty heavy price tag. But when you look under the hood, he's not like you're not getting Holland with this guy. His goal scoring has been propped up a little bit by the fact that he takes penalties for his team. And he's, again, another guy that's a little out over his skis when it comes to finishing versus expected goal totals. So, And then you're factoring in the transition from going to Serie A, which is a typically a slower league, what's just kind of becoming like a retirement home or a second, I wouldn't say that, a rejuvenating home for like early 30 stars. Now you're going to the Premier League from there. So there's going to be a little bit of a tax and all that attacking numbers Wait, too. Wait, so he's going from the Italian retirement home to the English retirement home in Arsenal? It has to yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they're, they're, usually it's flipped the other way. Arsenal's like sending someone like Mkhitaryan to Roma. But um, uh, after they housed Willian and Sheck and uh, all the other guys, uh, David Luiz, and go ahead and put them through their golden years. As I said last uh, week, I review them as a retirement home themselves. <laughs> yeah, and they're going after a 21-year-old. Clearly something changed. But yeah, I mean, Arsenal's front office has been kind of a mess. We touched on it when we, uh, when we were going over the club, kind of pick your favorite club thing. We talked about that. Like their structure hasn't been great um, pretty much ever since the Cronkies have taken over. And then you got Daniel Levy, who hasn't hit on a ton of stuff, but he's been pretty shrewd as far as player acquisitions in terms of buying at least players on the right type of the age curve for good money. And one of the guys we're looking at is my boy, Adama Traore uh, from Wolves. And, and they're going to look at him as like a wing back that Conte can mold and like the Victor Moses mold. And, you know, to me, if you're taking a bet like this, let's say Spurs and Arsenal are even money right now, we don't know what's going to happen in the transfer market. 
you're also kind of betting on the front offices to do something. And you know, with Conte around, Spurs are going to do something. Like Conte is not going to go through the January window without at least one player coming through his doors, right? So that's kind of like the fun about these futures is you're, you get to factor a little bit more into the equation. And for me, between Conte and Levy, I just think Spurs are going to be better. I, I think they're better positioned to move forward, grab that fourth Champions League spot. And Arsenal, you know, Arteta is not, definitely not Conte. Their front office has definitely not been operating on the same level as Spurs over the last four or five years. So again, I think the edge goes to Spurs here. Well, speaking of betting markets and acquisitions, that plays really well in the relegation race. Um, Burnley is minus 230. Watford's minus 190. Norwich is minus 1100. They're as good as down. And then Newcastle is minus 110. Uh, Newcastle just signed Chris Wood away from Burnley. 25 million for a 35, a 30 year old relegation level striker. It was one of the craziest bits of business that I've seen in quite some while. Uh, they signed Karen Trippier, who was huge for England in the t- uh, 2018 World Cup. I don't think he's entirely washed getting him from uh, Atletico. They're showing the intent that they're really going to go after that we all knew they would after they changed ownership to uh, the kind of the giant bag from from Saudi Arabia that is going to continue to explode throughout the Premier League and, and land in a lot of agents and talents lap. Uh, and they're going to continue to acquire. So I think the relegation race is over personally. Um, I think Ooh, N- Newcastle, interesting. Newcastle is minus 140 to stay up. And when you look at, you know, they have, I think, 18 games remaining and they need to make up two points on Burnley and they're getting all these new acquisitions and all those sorts of things. And you're only having to lay a little bit of juice. Give it to me all day long. Burnley, Watford, Norwich going down. Newcastle stays around for another year. Yeah, I mean, the Chris Wood transfer is pretty unprecedented, right? Like. I in and I, I was looking and I was asking people for things that maybe I forgot, um, but we've never seen another relegation team poach the leading goal creator from a team that they're literally fighting for a spot for. Sometimes we've seen teams in the middle of the relegation battle sell a player upwards, but never laterally. Um and it's an, it's an interesting kind of like, I mean, maybe for you, who is a shrewd businessman, um, or maybe am I giving you too much credit for being a shrewd businessman? I don't know. Um, it's, but it's an interesting thing. Like now, when you look at Burnley, you can make the case that James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee, their two center backs might be their best goal scoring threats at this point. And so you've kind of kneecapped and it wasn't like Burnley was just going to let Chris Wood go. Like they triggered his release clause. Uh, they found out that there's a release cause They triggered it. And then they just took him away. So even if he doesn't play a minute for Newcastle, that financial power move might've vaulted them into safety in the premier league, which I don't know, maybe for succession fans, maybe Newcastle should be your team. Well, look, Bur- Burnley basically has to take the surrender Cobra now. Like they they're done compared to Newcastle. Like, as you're pointing out, they just lost their their best attacking player to the guy that they're trying to beat. They're they're going to go down, and like for Newcastle, if you're looking at the economics of this, it becomes extraordinarily interesting. So they spend 25 million to basically kneecap Burnley and knock them out and make it a head-to-head race versus Watford. Um, for Burnley, it 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 didn't make financial sense. It had to be the release clause because if they go down, 
they're going to get $7 million of television revenue versus $100 million of television revenue. Uh, and so like even getting 25 million is usually a great thing for a 30 year old striker who's not worth anywhere near that. It is a net negative to them to make sure that they're not going to stay up because instead of, you know, they get the 25 million, but they're going to lose 60, 70 million even after the parachute payment they get right. uh, because they're not going to be able to compete in the Premier League next year. So it's it's. It's an example of the heft that Newcastle can bring, and it's extraordinarily unusual to see a team in 19th be able to make such a ruthless move like that. Like This is not something that is normal. This change of ownership that happened in the season, and this is the first transfer window that's, that allowed them to come open and allow them to do something, you know, as you pointed out, that Logan Rory would have done it in a heartbeat, is going to make this different than any other relegation fight that we have traditionally seen. And as a result, if I could get them at minus 140 to stay up, I love the odds because – it makes sense for them. It made sense economically actually for them to buy Chris Wood if it secures $100 million, even if they, they have to pay $25 right. million. But by the way, yeah. they don't they don't care about that. They have billions of money that they can just light on fire anyway. So it weighs them like this shrewd move on their half for financial reasons. It's just like this ruthlessness that they're going to bring to the treasure window from here on out. Yeah, it's just, it's just a way that they can leverage that wealth, right? You know, without really just splashing money and getting in trouble with financial fair play, if that's even a thing that happens anymore. Um, it's just a it's a really interesting and unique way that they've leveraged this and to tr- basically put new. I mean, Burnley went from you know probably being neck and neck to one of the favorites to go down now. Um, and, and again, the other part of it too, is Maxwell Cornett, who's their leading goal scorer. He's in the African combination. So he's gone for another couple matches. There's yeah. no wood. There's no Cornet. You take away their best goal scorers. Newcastle is probably going to spend more in this window. Um, and that's, uh, that's going to, like I said, this is part of the fun of betting futures. It's like, you're not just betting on performance on the, on the pitch. Now you're betting on things like is Newcastle smart enough to leverage their financial clout to push these teams behind them without just recklessly spending money. That, I, I think we just answered that question. Are they smart enough? They just made a very smart choice and yeah, exactly. kneecapping their opponent. And like, like when it comes to like Botman from, from Lil, it's like, okay. So uh, they're like, yeah, it would take an insane offer. It's going to take 40 million. And they're like, yeah, no problem. We don't care. Like just give us that yeah. guy. Cause he's one of the only people available <laughs> that will allow us to go from 11 points to 20 points pretty easily along with their other signings and get to safety. And as long as they're safe, then the recruitment in the summer is going to be insane. Like if they go down to the championship, they can't spend billions of dollars on player acquisition and suddenly win the premier league or be a top four competitor. As long it doesn't matter if they finish 17th or sixth, or I, I mean, I guess seventh, like someplace out of Europe, um, any place in that spectrum, they're going to spend a metric ton of money and be an instant container uh, or sorry, right. contender next year. And all they have to do is yeah. stay up. I mean, the only, the only time we've ever seen something similar to this is when like champions league spots are at stake, right? Like when the only thing I could ever think of that remotely other than like kind of when city was buying up players was United getting Van Persie from Arsenal. Yeah. That was, that would, that would kind of be the only parallel equivalent, but you're talking about like United using their incredible financial resources over Arsenal before the TV deals were really trying to level some of that out to basically poach somebody from another Champions League team. Yeah. Um, but now you're seeing these two clubs that are technically on equal footing near the bottom of the division doing it. 
it's just so weird and crazy. And it, and it makes it fun to kind of judge the marketplace for relegation now too. Yep. All right. So that's if any bet you heard today, Newcastle to stay up at minus 140 is my favorite bet that uh, I can make, but I can't put it in the five pint pickoff, unfortunately, because we do things that pay off pretty quickly. And speaking of paying off, holy hell, did my colleague Brett have an amazing December. Uh, I did just fine. <laughs> I did just fine. I took 25 pints and turned them into 29 pints. But Brett took 25 pints and turned them into 50.4 pints, up 25 units in a single month in an absolutely dominant Manchester City S performance. I doff my cap to you. I give no. you the guard of honor, and I'm sending whatever six pack you want your way. No, no photos. No photos. No regrets. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, oh, yeah. Well, six pack. <laughs> people can I, see. I will have a beer. I'm people can see on, you on the, on the people can pack. see you people can see you on the video, Brett. They know people aren't taking pictures of you right now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I was hoping that this part would just be the podcast only. Don't make this a cutout. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're late on no, the six pack, I, uh, but you, you got to gloat next week. You got to drink in my face. It's only fair. I will. I will. I was late on the beer. I I completely forgot that I wanted to humiliate you about my extremely lucky performance from last month that we'll probably never carry over again i don't know man that was really impressive you just it was it didn't seem like luck you just put in the work you grinded out the analysis spit out the results and they fell your way though tottenham scoring on the last kick uh to get oh, their clean sheet win when you had four bites on it. yeah that yeah. that might have that might have a little luck to it uh, all right, let's get everybody out of here, Brett. So let's start a new five-point pickoff for January. Here are my five picks. Manchester United to win 1-0, 2-0, or 2-1 at plus 250. Give me a pint on that. Liverpool and Brentford under 2.5 goals at plus 120. Another pint. Liverpool clean sheet win. A good team to do a good thing <laughs> at plus 105. Give me a pint on that as well. Uh, Arsenal Spurs under the 9.5 corners plus 110, and I cannot look myself in the mirror if I did not back my boys. Chelsea at plus uh, half a goal, oh. they get plus 130 for a pint. Thanks for just wasting the pint for me. I appreciate that. Now I'm, I, I'm already one up this month. That's great. Like, um, trust me, I'm gonna drink I, a lot I'm, more than I'm gonna drink a lot more than one if they get blown out in that game. So wasting this one means nothing to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to continue losing some money on player props, which I'm pretty sure I haven't hit a goal on any time goal scorer yet. But I'm gonna go with my boy Bobby Firmino plus 120 in that Brentford game. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope he comes through. He's gonna be my first one that hits this year. New year. Need to get one of these. Um, and then I'm going to put four points on a good manager doing a good thing. I love that plus 205 clean sheet win for Spurs. I'm really bullish on that line. So I'm going to throw four points on that. And Woo! I'm going to love it when there's an Eric Dyer own goal three minutes in. Holy hell. He is pushing all his chips on a clean sheet Spurs victory in the North London Derby, folks. You heard it here. He is a true Conte believer. <laughs> yeah i mean you know i gotta back my boy well you sure did you just backed him with all your chips so you're either going to be drinking uh, a lot or you're going to be high and dry all right oh, so we'll, we'll see we'll see i'm going to be giving up probably all my december winnings in january we're gonna find out quick that is a big bet on spurs baby i am impressed uh, so if you believe Brett can repeat his December outcome, you should turn this podcast off and head to your local uh, betting window or online turnstile and get some of your money down. If not, well, you know, 
there's always my five picks that I made, and you can pick one of those and uh, go have some fun with it. We hope you enjoy the games. We are so happy that they are back and they resemble full strength teams again. Um, sorry that we didn't give you a full strength podcast, but there's always next week where we will be back with our full, our uh, usual interchange of terrible advice backed by expert analysis. Enjoy the games, folks. See you next week. Take care, y'all. <laughs>